0: I'm a member of a Red Sox Nation, it's a kind of a family. Wherever I roam, up and way home, that's where I long to be. I'm a member of a Red Sox Nation, it's a kind of insanity. Yeah, I live and die with Red Sox pride for eternity. I make a smile. No
1: Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Benny and the Bats podcast covering Boston Red Sox baseball. For everyone staying up late tonight on Periscope, the podcast, as always, can be found on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Podcasts, and literally everywhere. And if you're on Periscope this very second. The iTunes link is right above the video window. And if you want to click that, you can subscribe right from there. And if you really want to do us like the most biggest, awesomest favor ever, just rate the podcast five stars while you're in there and just give a few words in the comment section. It will help us out immensely. Red Sox just wrapped up a three game set against the Oakland Athletics and for the second time this year they have swept the opposing team so I didn't see that coming but more on that in just a few minutes I'm Terry Cushman and I'm joined as always by Jeremy Schilling and Liz Churchville how are you guys
2: not terrible (laughs)
3: Aside from the fact that the Rays uh, just lost that doubleheader to the Royals, uh, and some asshole on Twitter is blaming the Rays for the Royals having horrible attendance today, I'm uh, pretty good other than those things.
1: <laughs> yeah, and uh, the Rays are still 19 and 11, you know, so that's uh, I mean, not too shabby. Yeah, cry- Liz, Liz, can I respond to that formally?
2: Cry me a fucking river, please.
3: <laughs> Okay, okay, National Champs, cry me a fucking river about about your horrible start. Like you guys will recover. It'll be fine. You know it. But come we, on.
1: we wouldn't know anything about getting swept in a doubleheader. <sighs> yeah.
2: yeah. Anyway
3: by the Royals. Come on.
2: That's a tough look. I'm not gonna yeah, lie to you. That's a tough look. Yeah. They suck.
3: Yeah, they do. I'm gonna blame it on the weather. Anyway.
2: <laughs> well, Jeremy,
1: uh, why don't you go ahead and uh, just take us right through this three-game set?
2: Uh, Frankie Montas versus Erod in game one. Uh, uh, the theme of this recap is the Oakland Athletics pitching staff sucked, at least the starting pitchers. Uh, Montas uh, had a four and a third, eight hits, one earned run. In fact, the, the Athletics had only three earned runs despite the fact that the Red Sox scored nine runs. So I think that goes a little bit to tell the story that um, a couple of key mistakes defensively was a significant factor in this one. Erod sucked. He's four and two-thirds. He's my zero for the week, and we'll talk a little bit more about him in a minute. Um, the story of this one was coming off the sweep, down for nothing. I was literally pacing in my living room, like, telling, like counting to 10 and taking deep breaths. Um, I was furious. I was upset. Um, and the the 2018 Boston Red Sox crept into Game One and, and wound up doing the things they needed to. Montas helped. He sucked. He wasn't really good. He after he got the four lead, he came back and quickly gave runs back. Uh, Erod could not get the third out in the fifth to qualify for the for the win. Which, the fact that he gets pulled in that spot just goes to show you how, one, desperate the Red Sox are to, to win games, and two, uh, how little faith uh, the coaching staff has in Erod in that spot. A couple of notes from this one. Brazier pitched in a non-save situation, one in the third inning, came in uh, with runners on, and uh, got a big out uh, to preserve the lead. Um... Velasquez, uh, he sucked in this game. It actually forced Barnes into the ninth in a situation you just don't want to see an extra reliever pitch. Uh, A little bit more on that uh, after game three. Offensively, Chavis, two for four with three RBIs. Betts, three for four with an RBI. Uh, Chavis, more on him later from Terry. Uh, But uh, he's really been a spark plug here. His defense uh, and and where he's going to play and slot in is a question mark but he clearly belongs offensively at the big league level. Sox win 9-4 game one. Game two, Aaron Brox versus Rick Porcello. Uh, again, four and a third, six hits, four in the, the starting pitcher for the Athletics sucked again. Uh, but Porcello was the story here. Eight innings, two hits, seven Ks. And a big point um, was Cora bringing Porcello out in the eight. Uh, after throw, I think it was 97 pitches with the understanding that if he was going to get through, he was going to be, uh, you know, about 110 pitches. He was. He was awesome. Um, that is really, really encouraging. Uh, a little bit more on Porcello in a minute because he's going to be my hero. Uh, not much of a spoiler there. Chavis again, two for four. Uh, Betts uh, again, two for four. And he had a home run in the first that kind of got things rolling here. Moreland hit a ball to dead central that uh, I'm pretty sure Eck almost exploded out of the uh, booth on that thing. Um, really good swing. Mullin seems to be coming out of it as a result of this series, especially after he was really struggling uh, coming into this series. So good sign there. And then the shocker of the whole goddamn series is Leon had a hit in Game 2. Sox yeah. win 5-1. to win, uh, five to five Game 3, Mike Byers versus Hector Velasquez. Interesting situation with Velasquez getting the start after pitching so poorly uh, in relief in game one in the ninth inning. Um, Just a little side note, I thought about Velasquez as my zero, just to highlight how bad he's been handled by the Red Sox so far. But in in typical Velasquez um, situation, uh, Swiss Army Knife did what he had to do. This was a bullpen game. The story with the pitching staff was Walden who got the win on three innings. Uh, he came in after Velasquez pitched the first two. One hit, three Ks. He was awesome. Really, really impressive outing for him, and generally for the bullpen. Moreland with another home run, his ninth, and Vasquez hit a home run, his fifth. Um, the the uh, Just generally speaking, the Athletics went up one nothing here, and then the Sox answer was seven unanswered. For the balance of the game, this thing wasn't really close in the late innings. Devers two for four. Uh, Devers two for four with two runs scored, and uh, Zue Lin two for four with a run and an RBI. Sox win seven three in a sweep. They are now fourteen and seven, and believe it or not, they are only five and a half games out of first place in the American League East as we go into the White Sox series. That's
1: uh, you know a welcome sight, and. Uh, you know after the last podcast i mean i wasn't feeling good about this series and this isn't a team that we have done well against you know we won we lost three out of four earlier in the year we lost four out of six last year in the season series with them and to get a sweep here against a team like that you know it's exactly what the doctor ordered and we have the White Sox next, so hopefully we can uh, build off of that. But
2: uh, let's uh, uh, one, one final one final note, and I meant to mention this, Terry. I know it's early uh, to be even mentioning this, but the Red Sox not only are only five and a half games back, um, they're three games back in the wild card. So for the, the for those of us, including myself who have been ready to jump, take a very short jump off a very tall building. The Red Sox have done enough to stay in it. They have not lost the ability to make the playoffs in the month of April. I I really am encouraged by hopefully the calendar flipping here and where we are on May 1st is encouraging for how bad we've played. So Terry, take it from there. Just that, that, that was my last thing that I wanted to mention in the recap.
1: Yeah, well said. Um, getting into uh heroes and zeros now all three of us will tell the audience who our hero for the series was and then our zero someone we weren't overly impressed with and uh so liz you've been pretty quiet so far why don't you lead off with your hero uh
3: my hero uh i mean it. it, it's There's no hiding it. I'm a Sandy Leone fan. Uh, I know Jeremy's not a fan of the whole personal picture thing, and a lot of people are up in their feelings. about it. Boo! <laughs> and uh, I mean, he doesn't hit. I mean, he. Uh, they they said it on the uh, on the broadcast last night uh, that I actually got to watch like almost all of it all the way through. Like he was at a point. Oh. 019 or something. I don't know something really horrible, and uh, he only got like on base because he got hit by a pitch, and that's how I don't know. But uh, last night, uh, I mean, he made Porcello look awesome. That's why I got to shot him out. That's why I think he's awesome. That's why he's there. You know, he's not there to hit home runs. He's not there to be Mookie Betts. He's not there to be uh, JD. He's not there to be any of those guys. They don't need him for that. They need him to make their pitchers better. Last night he made Porcello better. Sure, it didn't happen on his first couple outings, but I mean it takes a little time to work the work the wrinkles out and everything, and get back into a groove. The groove was there; it was great. Hopefully, it keeps going for you guys, except for against the Rays, of course. And uh, I mean that's why. Plus, he got he he got an RBI. He hit in uh, who was who? Did he hit it? Davis yesterday? I forget. He hit in somebody. It doesn't really matter who crossed the plate, but he got him in on a, on a little little teeny single into right and uh, and that's all you guys need from him and he did it for you and um, that's why he's my hero
1: I think he, he had a double at one point he ripped one down the oh. uh, right field line as well so a oh, little well, bit but the story for me like you kind of alluded to was Rick Porcello's start who happened to be caught by Sandy Leone much to Jeremy's chagrin and um, so, yeah, so uh, he's certainly not hurting the team at this point. So a good, good underrated choice for Hero uh, this week, Liz. Uh, Liz,
2: one of the things I like about, and this is where I say something positive before then I criticize. Um, so just a little warning there. Um, I do like your comment a lot about he's not bets and he doesn't need to be JV. And I, and I understand that he has a role in this team, obviously, with Swihart out of the system now. So I, I do, I understand your point, okay? Um, I also thought that Leon's two-seamer was a lot better in this game. Uh, his location, uh, Leon's location was obviously better. I thought he did a better job of just generally locating. Oh, wait I'm sorry, Porcello threw the baseball. Oh, never mind, forget it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, I'm Sorry, I got confused. I got confused. I'm sorry. I,
3: I'm not for a second honest. there,
2: I, I, for a second there, I thought it was Leone's two seamer, Leone's location. But um, your your point is 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 well taken, and I am obviously joking. You, I, I, I people know how I feel, so I'm not going to get into it too much here. But I just, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I just refuse to believe that Leone oh. somehow was the reason why Porcello was all of a sudden back to 2016 Porcello.
3: He's he's confident. It's confidence. It's all about confidence. I mean, you've seen how players' confidence affects them at the plate when they hit. And I mean, a pitcher, I mean, obviously AL pitchers don't hit. So, I mean, what else are they going to do? I mean, it's going to affect them uh, when they're on the mound. If he's confident in the way Leon's calling the game and he doesn't have to worry about anything, he just has to put the ball where Leon tells him to put it, then, then, I mean, things are just going to go smoother where maybe he doesn't trust other guys. I don't know. But it's, it's funny like again no secret I really didn't watch the Red Sox that intently until uh toward the end of last season when uh when I started to join you guys on the show but Leon was the player that stood out to me I enjoyed watching him play as weird as that was I love watching him I like watching how he just even though he's a big dude you know I love watching him maneuver behind the plate like I call him uh because it's the uh, Spanish word for rabbit because he just jumps around like behind the plate and I just I don't know there's something I really enjoy about that good relationship you know between the pitcher and the catcher and maybe that's why I favor him I don't know but that's just, that's just why I had to shout him out
1: <laughs> Jeremy go ahead with your uh, hero
3: well
2: Porcello because his two chamber <laughs> was better Okay, his location, his loca- He was the one actually throwing the fucking baseball. Um, and by the way, Liz, I hope you're understanding that I'm not disagreeing with your um, your hero. I just I hate the personal catcher situation. I, and again, Terry gets mad at me because I'm on record, and he get you know I don't want to keep saying the same thing every time this topic comes up. So I, I'm not. I, I I do get your point, and I think it's a very solid selection for a hero. But for me, Porcello. Uh, was good. His command was better. Um, you can say what you want about the pitch selection and, and Leone's effect on that. And, and I that's well-founded, in my opinion. I'm not saying Leone's certainly bad at calling the game. or And Porcello, obviously, um, trusts Leone. But Porcello was better. He was smoother. He worked quicker in this game. And obviously, part of that is he was feeling himself once he started rolling. I mean, he only gave up two hits. Um, I thought he pitched a contact uh, really well. Probably the best a Red Sox starting pitcher has done all year, as far as getting out. You know, without having.
1: I just lost both of you. Uh, just bear with me. Jeremy was shouting out Rick Porcello and it uh, looks like I lost my Skype connection. Seems like we have one one blip every week where we're just...
2: And one of the things I will say about Rick Porcello, okay, and I'm a Rick Porcello guy, Jeff. He does not let the last pitch affect the next pitch. He does not let the last start affect the next start. And he'll have games where he will give up, you know, three quick ones in the first or second, but still pitch six or seven innings. He did it a ton last year, obviously his Cy Young year. I really like that about Rick. He's got a short-term memory. He's like Adam Sandler, uh, uh Drew Barrymore at 51st Um He he really does. And and by the way, the reason why he, he's, he does that is, he is, teammate, is because he is a good teammate. It's because he is a gamer. And you can say what you want about his ability and potential upside, but I really like the fact that, despite that he's not the most talented guy in the world, he gives you a chance to win, and he gave you a great chance to win in a really underrated, important start in game two. So, Rick Borsillo, hero for this series for me.
1: And we can't, you know, we can't win a division, much less go deep in the playoffs, unless we do have. You know, a very effective Rick Porcello, who, in my opinion, is a number three. He's probably a career number three guy. And, you know, last year his numbers aren't very sexy. He had like a 420 something ERA, but that was mostly blown up by two starts against the Blue Jays in which he gave up a total of 15 runs between the two starts and just got absolutely shelled. So, if we can get this guy, John Lackey was a guy that would be very solid for three out of every four starts. And then on the fourth start would get shelled. And that's just who he was. And, and it was fine. You know, we, we still got into the playoffs. And so I just, I'm really happy to see Porcello kind of bouncing back. And this was a good team. You can make all the excuses you want against like a bad Detroit team, but he, he pitched very well against against a, a pretty decent team with a lineup that can mash, and I just, you know, we need him, especially with Sale, with the uncertainty there, and, and Evaldi being out, he's stepping up, and we need these guys to step
2: up, I guess, is
1: really the bigger
2: point. So Terry, just quickly before you move on, I, I totally agree with what you're saying, um, and you can say what you want about Rick, but he's unselfish. And he will do things. And, like, for example, uh, he will have a poor outing where he gives up runs, and he clearly doesn't have it. But he'll grind, and he'll he'll give you the innings in a game you know you're going to lose. Uh, Price, on the and now Price has been good, so uh, just get me wrong, but there are points in Price's tenure with the Red Sox where he's been really bad early, and they, he'll come out of the game. And I, we don't exactly know what happens in the dugout, but he doesn't have it. He's out of the game. He's got, you know, repetitive video game syndrome. Porcello's, Porcello will sit there and advocate to stay in the game because he knows it's what the team needs. He knows that yesterday was a, uh, a bad outing by E-Rod and next, the next starts a bullpen game. So he knows he's got to go six. So he comes out in the second and gives up a, a three-run Johnson. He knows he's still going to pitch. He he will stay in the game and give the team everything he has. I love it about him. I He's not worth his current contract as far as moving forward. He obviously has been to date. I'm an advocate of signing Rick Porcello. And the second reason for that is because he's already admitted that he will take a team-friendly deal. And I don't know what that means, whether it's $12 million, $15 million, whatever, two years, three years. I, I am I am an advocate for rick Parcello still being in boston red Sox next year on a multi-year deal so you know just something there before Terry goes into his hero
1: yeah and who knows if it'll happen because they didn't want to make him a priority and I, i don't want to get too into it now but one of the things i've you know in the back of my mind was did they give the wrong guy you know a contract you know should he have gotten the you know, the Evaldi contract and whatnot, but that, that will do, that's going to be a topic throughout the season, especially if Porcello does better. And you're right about him being unselfish. That's an excellent point. And I'll wrap it up with this on him. I'm looking through his uh, previous seasons here and he's never pitched below 172 innings as, as a professional. So, and and he's gone over the two. one
2: stat. The one stat that blew me away, and I haven't like fact checked it. I think it was from Eckersley. He's the only pitcher to throw hundred and fifty innings per season in the last ten years, every year. Yeah, exactly. I mean that. I'm I'm sorry. You can say about you know having a one point nine ERA one year, and you you haven't you know Sale had three hundred strikeouts two years ago, whatever. That level of consistency is unbelievable in Major League Baseball. It is absolutely worth re-signing this guy. Um, that That is invaluable that he's willing to do that every single – and he's the only one that's done it in the last 10 years, the only one in Major League Baseball.
1: Yeah, yeah, good point. Uh, moving forward, uh, the last one for the heroes part of it, uh, I'm just going with Chavis he was he was five for eleven in the series had four runs batted in so he was you know knocked in four runs batted just under five hundred. This is a guy that I was a little skeptical about because twenty four hours before he was called up they were saying nope, he's not ready yet he needs some work defensively, and you know it's It's not going to be this week anyway. And then 24 hours later, he was with the big club. Had a pinch hit double late in the game. I can't remember if it drove in a run. That was in Tampa the first time around. And uh, he's just done nothing but trend upward. He's hitting uh, 314 uh, on the season. So short sample size again, but... The numbers are trending upward, they're not trending downward, and I think it's there's no way in hell you can justify sending him down to Pawtucket when Holt, you know, becomes available and when Nunez becomes available. Just you know, he's he's here to stay, as far as I'm concerned. It would take a really nasty slump or a bad defensive streak, and I'm just not seeing it. He he looks more than adequate at second base. You know, Lynn, I think, has the best glove at second base of anyone in our system right now, you know, because I think Pedroya's kind of fizzled. Second's never been Brock Holt's best spot. He's better on the left side of the infield, and we don't got to get into Nunez. And I think, I think Chavis is just as good as those guys, and, and he looked really good. That one game at first base so can't be more impressed with this guy and and the other thing too that's becoming more apparent I should also mention is he the pressure doesn't seem to get to him you know he's he seems fine he's played some away games he's played some games at Fenway looks like a guy who can handle it so you know that's what you want to see in a, in a young prospect
2: Um, I normally don't have an opinion, but I do here. Um, he's been awesome. He's, his OPS is 1.042, which is like almost an MVP level. I know it's a small sample size. It's 11 games. He's got the three home runs. He's got eight, eight RBIs. He's got seven walks. His on-base percentage is 442. Not it's Not sustainable. But for a guy with just a, a full effort swing, he's been really impressive with his plate discipline. He has struck out a lot twelve strikeouts not a lot. that that's a problem. But if you're gonna if you're gonna if you're gonna slug six hundred and have an OPS at one point zero four two, you can strike out however you want in the in the times you don't hit a home run and and, and slug. So he's been awesome. Uh, I I don't think there's any risk of an immediate uh, or even a uh, somewhat. Uh, any and exposure to a uh him being optioned in, in, in anywhere near today um, he'd have to show a significant and sharp downturn offensively they're gonna find spots for him and they've already shown this he played first uh i think in game two he's they're gonna find spots for him to play <laughs> like he's after Betts, who's had a pretty significant upturn in jD and xander he's been basically our our fourth best offensive player in of the year it
3: would so, be
2: stupid not to. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he, you know, he's hitting 314, three home runs, eight hours. I mean, and, and by the way, like, Devers, who's the guy who's valued higher than him at his, value, at his natural position of third base, still doesn't have a home run, has committed 100 errors, and he's not been terrible offensively, but he's not hitting 314 with a four forty two OBP. is it, Slugging 600 with an ops of 1.042. I mean that's JD Martinez type numbers. So, Terry, this is a real good hero. Um, yeah, so credit to you and I really love to do that, but <laughs> Chavis is here to Chavis is here. And by the way, he's not going anywhere. And so now, now I'm just going to warn you because this is what's going to happen. The little e- the little leader gang, the LLG. Madres not Pedroia's not coming back. So this is the guy. Now, will he be the guy in a one-run game in September uh, when, you know, Brazier comes out to close it? No. Uh, Zu Lane will be in to, uh, you know, play defense, and, and Zu Ling's not going anywhere, anywhere as a result because we're so bad defensively at third and second. I'm okay with it. I'm really okay with it. And, I, and also, this guy is clearly the type of guy who wants to get better. And so, his infield defense now I don't think will be the same infield defense in in 90 games. So let's give him a chance to grow defensively while he mashes offensively.
1: Excellent points. Uh, Getting over to our zeros for this series. Uh, Liz, who do you have?
3: That's actually a really good segue into my zero. Well, I had kind of, well, I had one zero that I sent you guys are actually kind of two zeros, but since you were talking about, uh, Chavis and everything, I'll start with my, with uh, a little zero extra grind, and, because uh, I had said something on Twitter, uh, at Vegan VeganSportsStick on Twitter, I'll just say that, um, about Chavis, you know, basically being like, Pedroia who, you know, you because know, he's taken his place, and then some people decided to chime in and tell me, you know, he's not a second baseman, and all this stuff, and, and I get it, and Terry said it too, you know, obviously I trust Terry more than any uh, person I don't know on Twitter. Um, I
2: cannot believe you just said that with me on this podcast. <laughs> are you yeah. fucking Are you fucking serious, Liz? Holy smokes!
3: What? Yeah, th- Did I trust Carrie's opinion? I, I didn't say I didn't trust you. I just said more than anybody
2: else, and I'm sitting right here. I'm in the yeah. room here.
3: <laughs> I didn't say more than anybody. I said more than other people that I don't know. I know you, so you're clearly not in that group. Like, whoever these people were, I don't know. They, I don't know. I don't know who they are. So, so I don't trust their opinion. I don't care what the fuck they think. All I know is that Chavis is out there getting it done. He needs to stay on the field. And whatever the fuck you think about Pedroya and what he deserves because he's been a Red Sox for blah, 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 whatever, who cares? That's just a bunch of crap. Plus, Plus, my other thing with Twitter, and then I'll get to my real uh, zero, um, is I. Terry said something about Leon and Porcello and how well Porcello did, you know, in his Cy uh, Young year uh, with, with Leon, and then now he's miraculously doing better. And I was like, man, I was just about to tweet that. I was like, you read my mind, and then somebody decided to pipe up and say something, and then. Uh, He was like, I'm talking about when he caught sale the other day. And I'm like, well, we're not talking about when he caught sale. So I don't know why you're even, like, saying anything. Just quit Twitter. Just quit Twitter. If you cannot read the tweets and respond to them appropriately, just quit it. So anyway, that's all I got to say. But but, um, my real zero is uh, JBJ. He's just, I don't know what's going on with him. He's just not getting it done. He's not getting on base to even it's not even like he's being productive in a non hitting way you know I, I don't know I don't know what's up but uh but he needs to he needs to shape up or not not chip out they're not going to do that but uh maybe they'll try to trade him while he still has a little value I, I don't know I don't know he's not going to get a contract from the Red Sox if he keeps doing this
1: Liz you, you have excellent judgment by the way and uh regardless of what jeremy says
2: (laughs) all right so i'd I'd now like to uh, respond to that as well as a number of other things that you've said um that stung, liz deep and it's going to have a lasting effect on my ego i'm just putting it to you that way we're in the trust tree no one else is listening obviously so
3: it's double raised there now say anything against you
2: (laughs) (laughs) all right look quickly uh you got to be careful online with Pedroia because there are, there, there are people out there that will literally attack you like, like attack your intellect, uh, attack your like, like morally ethically. It's, it's honestly unbelievable. And I've talked about this, I think like three podcasts ago, where if you're going to say something about Pedroia, you really have to do it. Understanding that you are going to be eviscerated. now with that said, welcome to the podcast. Welcome to the team. Now that you've been eviscerated on Twitter, uh, Bye, Pedroia, you've now been indoctrinated into the Benny and the Vets podcast. You're here to stay. All right, now getting to your zero. Uh-huh. JBJ sucks. He sucks. He's been fucking terrible. And honestly, I'm just getting tired of it. And I'm getting tired of people apologizing for him. And he's worked on his swing. And he went to Arizona. And he has a special hitting coach. And the special hitting coach is in Boston. Well, the special hitting coach obviously has a learning fucking disability. Nothing against learning disabilities. But this guy shouldn't be teaching JBJ privately how to hit because he can't hit. And it's going to get to the point where last year when he sucked, because he sucked like this last year early as well. But they were just winning games. And it's like, well, he's going to win a gold glove in center field. And he did. So we'll put up with it. and He'll hit. And he did. He He was the ALCS MVP. But now you see how much of an eyesore that spot is in the lineup when Leon's back and he's not hitting. We're not winning, and there's so many other issues where Moreland is either hot, scorching hot, or freezing cold in the series, depending on what series it is. You have to get something from center field. There's too many center fielders out there that can hit 240 with a 680 OPS. JBJ sucks. He's fucking terrible. I'm so sick of it. And, and like, I'm sorry, there's enough, and I've said this again, so I'm not, I'm not going to go into it deeply, but, but there's enough athletic outfielders that can play center field and give you something offensively. For example, Ben Intendi. He's not going to be a gold-glove center fielder, but he can give you something while hitting a 280 and giving you something offensively, and then you can stick anyone else in left field. I mean, for fuck's sake, Manny Ramirez played left field, and he one time cut a throw by da- diving for a Johnny Damon throw that was 10 feet away. I mean, you just don't, we don't, like, we have, Bets can play center field. Benintendi can play center field. J.D. can play left. I mean, there's, I'm sorry, we're not good enough everywhere else to be putting up with this bullshit from, from Jackie Bradley Jr. I mean, we're just not, it's, it's infuriating. Yeah,
1: and we could have got, you know, we waited a season too long to get rid of him, unfortunately, and a lot of people like to point to his ALCS, you know, heroics on his three hits that he did have, but, you know, who knows what would have happened anyway, and I think once we start seeing any of the prospects that are close to Major League ready, if, like... CJ Chatham all of a sudden starts taking reps in in left field. I think that's going to be the sign that, you know, everybody like us ready to move on from JBJ, you know, that'll be the sign that, you know, maybe something is uh, fairly imminent. And uh, I don't know if that means he'll be traded, if he just gets relegated to the bench or whatnot, but... I've been ready to move on from him since early last year, to be honest with you. And I used to be a JBJ apologist. When he had that streak in 2016, I was so captivated by that. That was probably my favorite part that season, you know. And it was just so fun to watch that streak. I think it got up to 29 games, and and it just, you know, it was a lot of fun. But it's, it's been mostly downhill since then. And he's hitting 156 right now, hasn't hit a long ball yet, only driven in five runs, just giving us nothing, like you said,
2: Jeremy. So so all good points. Um, I, I don't think C.J. Chatham, who's a, a shortstop by trade and, and still in Portland, uh, uh, you're, you're more of a prospect guy than I am. We've talked about that. So I'm not going to get into it too deeply. One prospect has shown that he can hit in the major league level and that he's willing to really do anything to stay in the lineup. So I'd be interested to see if they could put Michael Chavis in left uh, once Holt and Nunez get back. And I wouldn't hate it because I think it would create some problems with the, the pitching staff, especially if the bullpen um, – once starting pitching gets squared away, and I think they will, well, you know, the bullpen ultimately is going to be our weakness and we're going to need offense to overcome that. So adding Chavis in the lineup with a guy like Holt, who especially against right-handed pitching can hit, I I, I just, he's already played first, like without basically any preparation. And I, I would like to see him without having to go back down into the minors, uh, see if he can catch a couple fly balls because I think it lengthens the lineup, especially if Leon's going to be in it. So, um, you know, just a thought there with left
1: field. I'm actually going to add on to that in the general segment here once we uh, wrap this up. But um, I think there's a lot to talk about with the right side of our infield. But um, and Jeremy, actually, I think you were next up with your zero.
2: Uh Eduardo Re- Rodriguez can just go fuck himself. <laughs> I, I have no use with this piece of shit. Throw strikes. Get ahead and count throw strikes. Challenge hitters. For Christ's sake, stop it, Eduardo. Stop. Stop trying. I can't I handle really I can't mm-hmm. handle getting ahead O two and then nibbling for fucking forever until now it's full count and you're walking the guy. Or you got to give in with a four seamer and your four seamer is not good enough. And so it gets turned around for an extra base hit when you're up on 02. Like, Jesus fucking Christ. You've been in the major leagues for six years. Like, figure it out. Figure it out. I'm, I'm exhausted with this bum. And the thing that drives me the most nuts with this guy is that he's getting into the money making years of his career where performance is going to equal dollar bills. And he sucks. Like, are you not competitive, Eduardo? Are you, are, do you not like money like the rest of us? <laughs> like, what is your deal that you can't figure this the fuck out? And then you get taken out with four and two-thirds inning with, with the with, with your team in the lead. Your manager doesn't trust you to get the inning that lets you qualify for the win. You are a joke, and I'm just getting sick and tired of it. I'm getting sick and tired of the O two 2 counts to the 3-2 counts to the leads that are then, you know, the minute the Red Sox score a run, he comes out, and he is hell-bent on giving it back. I mean, can we just get a one-two-three inning after we get a lead, for Christ's fucking sake? This guy is exhausting. I'm done. I'm sick and tired of it. There has to be a better option within the system. There has to be a trade we can make with this guy to get an asset in for another weakness and let Velasquez stretch himself out to five or six innings. Cause I'm just—he sucks. His demeanor sucks. His attitude sucks. He sucks. I'm pissed. I'm sick and tired of it. Next.
1: Well, hang on. I'm. All, I don't think Vasquez quite has the ceiling. Erod does, and what I'm. That, not, I'm not saying.
2: I'm not saying I don't get frustrated with Erod. He definitely doesn't. By the way, but he look. Don't get me wrong. One of the reasons why I'm so frustrated is because the ceiling's there. The ceiling's there. He can be probably Porcello. If he could, you know, do some of the things I'm complaining about. Sorry, Terry, I didn't mean to cut you well, off. Dennis, well, Dennis Eckersley off,
1: called a, a, him the ace of the staff, <laughs> like, I think, coming into this game. But uh, he had one terrible inning on in his last start, whatever day it was, against Oakland. And very aggravatingly, it, it was the second inning, and he, there were three straight batters where he was ahead – 0-2, oh, and, and all three of them ended up getting on, and then that was the four-run inning. And I thought, oh, here we go, and you know, and then he settled in very nicely for a few more innings, and and then in the fifth, he just couldn't get out of it, like you said, and and uh, and Cora gave me a heart attack because no, actually, was that, that wasn't the Brazier inning, was it? I don't think so. Uh, but that was later on. Anyway, but with Erod, I just feel like there there really isn't until, I mean, I really feel like the next guy that could come up and possibly make an impact is Darwinson Hernandez. And he gave up four or five runs in his next start uh, after his call up. So in, in his next Portland start, he, he didn't look too good. So I don't know what the timetable is on him, when to expect him, but short of making a trade, there literally isn't anybody that's going to come up and be an impact guy. It'd be nice if Velasquez could, you know, he only gave us two innings today and, and, you know, kind of made things really complicated in in that one uh, late inning appearance against Oakland, but, I think he had something like a 5.91 ERA against Oakland. So it's one of his worst teams. But, I mean, you got to hopefully stretch him out to five innings. And we just haven't gotten that out of him yet. And I don't know if that's realistic or not. And he does have a history of back issues as well. So, uh, you know, I'd hate to not have him at all. You know, Velasquez,
2: I mean. I'm feeling pretty sheepish here because Terry's the voice of reason which (laughs) is like whoa that's you know I'm going to have to sit back after the podcast and be like wow that was you know not a great moment for me but I totally agree and one of the things that's most frustrating is there isn't other options and so we're stuck with this guy and he has the upside to be whatever he wants to be like I truly think in his at his best he could be David Price and that's what's so frustrating about what he is and, and what he continues to be. And and we can we, we can't keep saying he's young. Like he's not a prospect anymore. No. He's he's pitched in big moments. He's shown uh the upside that's like makes people salivate. And it, but I'm just you know, you're coming off a sweep, right? You've just been swept. He gets game one. And his response is a four spot in the second inning. It, it, it sends me into deep dark places that i don't want other people to go <laughs> yeah. i mean it really does like i it's just it's so goddamn frustrated with this guy and then the thing is is that no one can get ahead o2 with electric stuff like erod to then just nibble and tuck and fight and not be in the strike zone until it's three two and it's like he, he needs an out
1: pitch. I mean, they have to work on that, you know, and or build up his confidence to throw whatever he thinks that already is. But I, I, I get frustrated, then, listen, too.
2: Here's the last thing on it, okay? He has a good outing, and his response is, Dustin Pedroia taught me how to throw a curveball.
1: <laughs> I'm,
2: I'm, I'm, I'm going to choose... Not to elaborate. <laughs> okay, I
1: I don't want to touch that either. I yeah. So, Liz, um, or, or is it? I'm up, aren't I? Yes, I'm up. My uh, okay. Here's mine. Uh, for the first time this season, I'm gonna call out the president, general manager, whatever you want to call him, of the Boston Red Sox, Dave Dombrowski. The reason I'm doing this is why the fuck is Tyler Thornburg still here okay because at this point it's on him and Alex Cora has to go to him in certain situations and in this series it happened to be with big leads and that's when you would probably go to him or if you're just way, if you're getting killed and you need an inning of mop up duty or whatever you would go to him in that situation so Cora is not really putting him in, in high leverage spots and this is really on Dombrowski now. All these painful innings that are going to be marred with carnage, it's on Dombrowski now, and keeping him around for this is even dumber than trading for him and giving up Travis Shaw in the first place. It's just absolutely dumb to keep this guy around, and three out of his last four starts, uh, not starts, three out of his last four appearances out of the bullpen, he's given up six earned runs. And So at least one or more runs and as many as three runs uh, in one of those games, uh, you know, out of the last four. He's just, he's terrible. He's a complete bust. And I want to move on from this guy as well. I mean, you can't tell me you can't call up Bobby Pointer from Pawtucket and at least get slightly better results out of him than putting us through Thornburg. He Dombrowski just needs to accept the fact that this is one of the worst trades of his career that he ever made and and move on. You know, cuz it's just painful and we don't need to be reminded of it every time he goes out. And that that's my that's my uh, zero for this series.
2: Well, Terry, uh, you have this one completely right. Um I actually had Thornburg until you told me you were going to go Dombrowski, so I, I kind of backed off because Thornburg sucks, and, you know, he was uh, the, re- you know, they traded a high level prospect for him. Uh, and his contract expired, and the Red Sox re signed him. So what? what's the deal? I, I theorized a couple podcasts ago. And I'm going to continue to theorize. I'm pretty sure Thornberg has like photos of Dombrowski <laughs> cheating on his wife. I, I'm <laughs> obviously, um, you know, I'm joking. <laughs> wink, wink, nod, nod, just in case legally. But there's got to be something that we don't know about because either his bullpen sessions are electric, and he goes in games and sucks. And by the way, he's not pitching in high-leverage situation. Right. They only bring him in in low leverage. We're up by a touchdown situation. And then, oh, my God, he can't get through the inning. We got to bring someone in that shouldn't have to pitch. It's so frustrating. He's a total eyesore. I just don't get it. Like, the contract expired and you re-signed him. So I don't know. I really don't know what to think. They must believe that he has... Another period of time before he's fully back from the arm, you know, surgery. And I, I root for him because, again, I root for everybody in the Boston Red Sox. I don't root for anybody to fail, um, it, you know, basically except for people that are just terrible human beings off the field. Um, I, you know, that's not Thornburg. So, it, it's, it's confusing, and Terry, uh, you know, I totally agree with you. I totally agree with you. Yeah,
1: and, I mean, it's not even fair to call out Thornburg himself. You know, we know who he is now. It, it's it's everybody else's fault for putting him in the game at this point. And, you know, I'm, I can't even hold well, Thornburg well, hold on. Is it, though,
2: Terry, because they put him in low-leverage situations? They're up by a touchdown and a two-point conversion. Next thing you know, he gives up two quick ones. Couple people on, and you got to bring someone else in because now it's like a borderline save situation. I mean, I agree with you that Thornburg is what he is, but he shouldn't be in. He shouldn't be on the roster. You trust him in the the literal lowest level situations possible, and he still creep turns them into high leverage situations where they have to burn another reliever that shouldn't even have to warm up. So I get your point, but I. He is at fault. He sucks. I just don't have any confidence in him in any
1: situation. Uh, you put him, put him out there tomorrow. If we're up by a touchdown, he guaranteed he's going to give up a run. Yeah, I just, I just have no confidence. Liz,
2: in Liz, Liz, the story of this podcast, by the way, is I just got Terry to use a football analogy. So, <laughs> timestamp that, please, and we'll we'll cut that as a drop into later podcast.
3: It's in my notes, it's in my notes.
2: Well, we just had the
1: longest segment for this ever, literally. So we'll just kind of get into a few things anyway before we get to the preview. Um, I want to make one observation here. And it's very well noted that I'm pro-prospect. I'm always going to be intrigued, and I'm always going to want to see, you know, what the next guy that gets called up can do. And and let me also point out, Devers caught lightning right away, and Ben Benintendi's been literally solid the whole time he's been up here, aside from maybe a week-long slump here and there. Just absolutely solid. We struggled with him. Mookie bets, same way. Chavis is trending that way I don't want to jinx him but we've had pretty good luck with these guys and there was one interesting game in this series where I, I think it was actually game one Jeremy and uh, Chavis got the start at first base for the first time since he's been called up and uh, uh, Zue Lin was at second so they had the right side of the infield And Moreland was hitting just around like 100 over the last two weeks, like just barely over 100, like Pedroia territory. And uh, Pierce has been in that territory all season long. And the interesting thing here was I think this is the first time ever where Moreland and Pierce were on the bench for the whole game. And I'm just wondering if – Maybe that lit a fire under Moreland's ass because he probably was feeling a little less relevant. We got a stud prospect, you know, at first that night, and then the best glove in the system for second base out there. And he came into the lineup the next night, hit a home run, and I think also hit one today. And Oakland is his best team to face. He's hit 22 home runs against them more than any other. Uh, he has against any other team, so um, it's just interesting here, and it's going to get to the point within, I would say, within the next probably four to six weeks where Moreland or Pierce is going to be the odd man out. It's going to happen, and I think it'll probably be Pierce, but one of those guys isn't going to be with the team anymore, and I think later on down the road, I think C.J. Chatham will be with the Major League Club at some point this year, whether that's at second, left field, or you know whether Chavis is in there at left field, it doesn't matter. You know, Both guys, I think, will be in the starting lineup, and I think that's probably going to force Nunez out. I think Nunez would go before Holt, and so basically you know, you got a platoon situation at first and second, and one of each platoon is going to be gone, I think. And I think Moreland, as I said, got a hell of a wake-up call just a few games ago.
2: Liz, do you want to chime in before I address all this?
3: Oh, uh, no, you, you go ahead.
2: <laughs> Batter up?
3: <laughs> yeah.
2: All right, so the best thing for the Boston Red Sox is Moreland and Pierce. Pierce has a career OPS of like 938 coming into this year against left-handed pitching. The, the fact that he won the World Series MVP is totally irrelevant for me moving forward, but the career OPS against left-handed pitching is very, re- <clears throat> very relevant. I want that guy. I need that guy. To be in this iteration of the Boston Red Sox, if we're a month from now and he's not, then fine, okay? Because Chavis is a right-handed hitter, uh, right-handed hitter, and he is hitting, and he is doing the things that we need as far as slugging, run production, you know, everything. And so, if you want to say that. Moreland's your left handed hitter at a first base and Chavis is your right when needed, because I think Chavis should be in the lineup every day. Fine, I'm okay with that if Pierce is still not hitting in a month. But the best the best form of the Boston Red Sox has Pierce as a player hitting against left handed pitching and, and and producing an OPS above nine hundred. It just that's the fact. And Terry's not going to disagree with that. He can't disagree with that. Whether that's still Pierce, maybe he did you know, Terry will say, well, he can't do that anymore or whatever. I don't know.
1: Well, he is thir- um, he's 36 years old. And that's event- a
2: factor, 100%. 100% eventually 100%, the cliff Terry. comes
1: up. And a, gr- yep. a good example, he, he wasn't a lefty specialist like Pierce, but Napoli fell off his cliff pretty quick, and he came back and had one more d- pretty good year with Cleveland. It was Cleveland, during the yeah. 2016 series, but he fell off real
2: fast. I, I I don't disagree with you, and nothing speeds up a player's cliff more than another six weeks of a season, and a shortened offseason, and that shortened recovery period. So I'm not discounting that, and I'm not saying I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm just saying that the best iteration is Pierce slugging. I'm sorry, Pierce having an OPS above 900. So if he gets there, he's going to be here. If he's still not there in a month, and they're floundering around five hundred, then I, I'm gonna say that I would agree that it's time to move on.
1: Yeah, I, and I'm C. probably CJ Chatham.
2: CJ Chatham, he's not gonna be with the club this year, and if he is, it's not gonna be more than ten games. And I'd I'd be willing to place a friendly wager on that. Um, I I just it, you're like this roster is built to win a World Series. You're not gonna put. You've already committed to Chavis, and, and rightfully so, as it turns out, but you, you just can't commit to another prospect like that. I mean, this is a team that ha- the eggs are in the basket. The money's spent. If there's a need for a certain spot, you're going to go get an expiring veteran to fill it. I, I, I just strongly believe that. Well, now. Okay. Yeah, go ahead, Terry. Well,
1: I was going to say Chatham's going to force out probably Nunez, and that's how he gets his roster spot. But, I mean, well. I see
2: that differently. I see, first of all, we've already discussed this and for the regular listeners to the podcast, I don't want to have you hear the same thing, but I think we all kind of agreed that it's going to be whole. And then with Chavis's emergence, they're going to find a spot for him. And I think left field's an option. I think you could see days where he is the designated hitter. If you have JD and left or in right. And I think you, he's proven that he can catch a ball at first base, especially if Pierce isn't part of the roster. Um, Nunez stinks, okay? He sucks, and he sucks defensively, and he has no value moving forward because he's on an expiring contract. So let's say that Chavis and Nunez are the same player, and by the way, I don't think they are. I think Chavis is a a better player right now, but let's just assume that they are. Chavis has not even had a single season of accrued Major League time versus Nunez, who's on an expiring contract. So even if they were the same player and they were the same player defensively, Nunez is gone. They're going to go Chavis. They're going. He's making like $375,000. It's not even close. And by the way, Chavis is a better offensive player. There's no question about it. Now, he's willing to play at a position he's not comfortable with with both second and first, so he's showing that willingness, which Nunez does as well. One, I think he's a little bit better at it than Nunez is. And two, uh, again, because of the his youth and his contract flexibility, um, he's more apt to also take the step of playing left. So I just think, I, look, Chavis has been really good. And I don't think he's going to be an OPS of 1.042 like he is right the second. But... He's major league ready offensively. There's zero question about it.
1: Yeah, it, another thing, though, about Chavis playing left, I don't think that's going to be something that happens with the Red Sox. Like, he's going to have to get sent down. Like, that's that's not a very simple conversion because he, he doesn't have – I think they he had some reps in spring training, but as far as I know, he doesn't have any minor league – uh, experience with that, so
2: I just it, it, and it, I agree with you, Terry. But he also had no prior experience at first base, and they put him in the uh, and and started him at first. Yeah, well, I mean, and
3: well, go ahead, Liz. Well, well, sorry, and and also, I mean, and granted, I don't know his minor league history, so I'm speaking just totally off of watching. But think about a player like Ben Zobrist, my favorite player in the whole league, has been for years and years. I don't necessarily think he was the super utility player that he is right now in the minor league. He did all that in the major league. I'm not saying Chavis is Ben Zobrist, but at the same time, why couldn't he do that? Why can't he just get his time here? I mean, it, I don't know.
1: It's it's um, for you know from first to second. I mean, it's still in the infield. You're still you're still handling you're still knocking down line drives and grounders and whatnot i just i napoli would be another good example he went to texas once we got rid of him in 2015 and they were kind of on the cusp of a, a playoff run and actually i think they did make the playoffs and he was terrible out and, and left, and it's just – it's not that easy. Hanley Ramirez, another guy, just couldn't do it, just could not do it. You know, you could move him from from short to first or, or whatnot, but I just – I wouldn't be comfortable with that with Chavis, and I think it's going to happen similar to the way it happened with Mookie. Overnight, the, that was the year Bradley just kept bouncing back and forth between Fenway and Pawtucket. Overnight, they the Red Sox sent a bunch of coaching staff to Portland to move Mookie from second base to center field. And and from then on, he was an outfielder, and he was with the Red Sox within a month at that point. And I think that's what's going to happen with Chatham. And I, I do think he will be up this year. And Chatham's 6'4". I don't know how tall Chavis is. He must be at least 6-something, but... but you know, Chatham does have the frame of, uh, you know, of an outfielder. So I think, I really believe that's going to be the scenario. Or it could be a trade. I mean, we're, we're talking 100% prospects right now. I mean, it could very realistically be some type of a trade that happens. and And that's how you get your left fielder.
2: Yeah, I mean, th- th- these aren't bad points. I've kind of said how I feel about it. I-, I like the big league options. And again, I think this team is at its best if Pierce comes back to form. And even if it's for a short period of time and this year only, um, I, you know. Right. Actually, I think, the ra- I think the right people are on the roster right now. We just need certain people to get back to where they normally are. Pierce obviously being example a the other thing is I think Holt's got to get healthy and back on the roster because I think he provides a certain dynamic that we're just missing with the flexibility of the utility position I have no no use for Nunez I I don't need to see him again I agree
1: about keeping Holt over Nunez but I, I will say that I'm almost done with Holt as well just in terms of his durability You know, he had the scratched cornea because he was horsing around with his kid, and now he had a setback with a shoulder impingement. And this is just another guy with a poor record of health. And I just – he's not that impactful offensively. I mean, he missed
2: three months because of vertigo. Right. So it's a real real good point. And by the way, if the Red Sox moved on from him – as a result of his basically unique injury history, could anyone blame them? I don't think so. No. And I, I, I just, I, again, while I would understand it, I think the best, the this team at its best has Pierce hitting 900 OPS against left-handed pitching, and Holt is a productive utility player. With Chavis stepping in instead of Nunez That's the big league roster that I envision With with Zui Lin being the, Basically the Swiss, Swiss Army knife Defensively because of The inherent Issues with third and second based on The, the way the roster is built so. Yeah
1: And you know t- Time will tell but you know Our platoon guys are Definitely the you know The ones that just haven't come around You know Mookie's come around Devers has been pretty steady all year with a bat. And, and you know, Bogarts and J.D. obviously have been very good. So we'll, uh, we'll see. Pedroia has um, a rehab start scheduled for tomorrow in A Portland, weather permitting. And I, I think the weather could actually be a, a bad issue. But ju- not to get too deep into him, but he's got to be looking at Michael Chavis right now and thinking to himself, My career is over.
2: Can I list things (laughs) that excite me more than a Dustin Pedroia rehab start? Sure. Like being sunburned. (laughs) Uh, You know, Having a plastic fork break in my mouth. Uh, <laughs> okay, all a right. Rainy, a rainy day on a Friday when I'm not working. I mean, what, do I need to give further examples? Like I, there's no expectation. And by the way, I don't want him to get healthy. Like
1: dude, <laughs> you're right where I call was. Call
2: Jacoby Ellsbury, ex-teammate of yours, and learn how to milk an overvalued contract late in your career, because no one. And I mean, no one has done it better than Jacoby Ellsbury. Well, you know what? But Dustin, I, Dustin, just do, just do what Jacoby's doing. Stop, please, stop. Just, I'm begging you.
1: I think the Ellsbury thing is a hostage situation, though. Because I, I think he wants to play. And, I mean, he was playing at the end of the 2017 season. And he played 112 games that year. And I just think they don't want him on the 40-man. And you know, so he's just kind of in purgatory, just like Rusni Castillo right now. And maybe if you did bring him back, he, if he, you know, he probably would be in the same situation as Pedroya where, you know, timing is an issue and, you know, cause he's 35 as well. And, you know, so he probably couldn't come back at this point if he wanted to, but I just think it'll be interesting several years from now. If, if, you know details come out about him not being happy with the way he was handled and and whatnot. But but Pedroia, I mean, and the reason I I brought him up is we still have to. The media's not going to let him go. He's still a media darling. That's why you got him being the hero for switching Rodriguez's grip and whatnot. So we we still have to sit through the bullshit until Don Browski, you know, finally makes a rash move here and and gets rid of him or at a minimum just puts him on the, uh, you know, the 60 day DL. So, but yeah, anyway, so any thoughts on pitching before we get into the series Um, sale? uh, You know, Chris Saunders is really impressed with, with uh, Chris sale, but my opinion hasn't really changed much. He gave up two two runs in the first inning, and oh, actually, that was the wrong series,
2: wasn't it? I'm going back two well, series ago. Well, that was that was that was a ricochet shot at Chris Saunders. Yeah. Um, well, we all that's talk to him, sir. So. Uh, we all. Um, I, I look. I, I respect Chris Saunders. I think he's a pretty good baseball mind, or well, just generally a decent sports mind. Um, we all follow him on Twitter. He's a friend of the program. Um. He's come out pretty strong on Twitter as uh, Sale is going to write the ship. And I'm somewhere in between you and him. Um, specifically, I think that Sale is a gamer. And that if there is a professional athlete with the mindset to come out of this, even at something less than his former self, it is Chris Sale. I do believe that. Um, you know, specifically in this series... Uh, we have David Price against a uh, TBD for tomorrow night. Um, David Price has been really good at three three point six ERA. He he's he's been our ace. He's been a, easily our most consistent starting pitcher. We don't know who he's pitching against. The White Sox suck. They're twelve and fifteen, which is kind of shocking, but. Um, I really feel like they should win tomorrow night. Then we get to the Chris Sale start. Owen, the numbers are shocking. So, for those of you that haven't heard the numbers, I hope you're I hope you're sitting down because they spent 150 million dollars on this guy. <laughs> Owen five with a 6.3 ERA with 32 strikeouts. He has sucked. And the only thing I can say is that he's pitching against Reynaldo Lopez, who's 2-3, and three, with a 6.03 ERA and 39 strikeouts. So he's been better than Chris Sale, but he's a guy that we could light up. With him pitching against his former team, who he has not been shy about his disdain for between the fact that they kicked uh who's the former first baseman they kicked the sun out of the clubhouse and that sent sale into a frenzy and then
1: Animal they race. had a
2: a retro jersey night he was set to pitch and and he voiced his opinion the team basically told him like we're gonna sell these jerseys go out and pitch so he went in the clubhouse with a pair of scissors and just cut the hell out of the jerseys so they didn't have to wear them I really do think that if he's gonna have the adrenaline and the and the desire, this this is the start. And by the way, Annie's facing a shitty lineup. That's a start where he's gonna be back. And then we get back to Eduardo Rodriguez, who will probably get ahead uh, about of ten hitters, zero and two, and then probably fall behind and walk most of them. But he's two and two with a six point one six ERA, thirty five strikeouts against Manny Banuelos who's 2-0 and with a 2.7 ERA, who's been pretty good. Um, this is really a series where, honestly, we should sweep this team. We really should. We should sweep this team. I really feel strongly about that. Now, if David Price beats whoever the hell they throw tomorrow, and Sale is, is who we hope he can be, and even if he's not, we should be able to score a touchdown against Reynaldo Lopez. It comes down to Erod against this Banuos guy this is a, if you don't win two or three of the series like it it's hard to believe
1: you know but our record against them isn't that good i happened to go to two out of three of the games uh last season uh it was during the the fenway uh homestand against the white Sox, and uh, we dropped two out of three and sale and price both pitched uh in, in that series so I you know, a sweep would obviously be great. and actually, not to get too far off topic, but it should be noted. I should have it up right here. Um, our schedule gets pretty tough starting uh, May 10th. So we got we will we've got the White Sox next, and then we got a three game set against Baltimore. And then after that, this is how it plays out. You got Seattle for 3 games, Colorado for 2 games, Houston for 3 games. Those are all at home, but Seattle's playing good ball. Colorado's uh, you know, was a playoff contender last year, struggling a little this year, but could kind of get it back together. So that's that's the next homestand and then you have Toronto for 4 games. Not too scary there, but, you know, that's uh, 4 games in Toronto. We go to Houston right after. So Toronto kind of sandwiches in in between the two Houston series. But three games in Houston, back home for one uh, set against the Cleveland Indians for three games, and then four games against the Yankees. So pretty tough schedule. I'm going to boldly assume that that might be the toughest three weeks of the season, basically. You know where you have Houston in there twice. So, so the reason I'm pointing this out is we got to take as much advantage as we can of these next two series to hopefully get to 500 and and just pad the win column a little bit because I have no idea what to expect once once this schedule does get tougher.
2: Well, I misspoke. It's actually a four-game series with Porcello pitching on Monday. I'm sorry, on Sunday against another TBD. So the Sox are obviously in good shape because they have two games of the series where they don't know who the fuck's going to pitch. I do think they'll win three of four, but here's the crazy part. As bad as this team has been, let's say they do sweep the series, which I don't think is going to happen, but let's say they do. They'll be 18 and 17. They'll be a game above
1: 500.
2: Oh, We need that. That... That 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 gets me to the point where like I'm like giddy. Let's <laughs> say they win three or four, which I really think should be what they do. They'll be seventeen and eighteen. That's a real good spot as well. Based on because they've been so piss poor, they've been so poor. Yeah, um, it, it's to the point where. And by the way, the White Sox suck, and I don't care what their record says. They've got no talent except for real young talent. Um, you know Copex in the system and they've got uh, Mikado and you know they they've got some assets from people they've traded over the years and including with the red sox and getting for sale and whatever else
1: well you this know this
2: team this team needs to win these games they need to win these games and they need to win the series the split's not going to be good enough here three or four wins in this series got to do it
1: Anything less than three out of four will definitely be a disappointment. Uh, Eloy Jimenez, their stud prospect, is on the DL, so he, he won't be able to make our lives hell. But their infield is really good. I mean, they got they still have Jose Abreu at first, Yomer Sanchez at second. He's not quite an impact guy, but still fairly solid. Mr. Batflip, Tim Anderson, is uh, at shortstop, you know, one of their best offensive players, and then finally, Yohan Moncada at third base, who finally appears to be having a a breakout year. He's hitting over 300. His strikeouts are are much lower this year, and, uh, you know, so there is a little bit of pop in that lineup. I'm not too familiar with a lot of their outfield. Uh, Well, Nicky Delmonico, I guess, you know, who's fairly solid, but um, But, yeah, I mean, the offense is there if anybody, you know, if Erod goes out and just kind of lays an egg or or sale, for that matter. um, But their pitching won't be all that stout. So if our offense shows up, I I think that's really the the key here to uh, taking at least three out of four. Oh, and it also should be noted They have a nice one-two punch in the eighth and ninth innings with Calvin Herrera, who's been an absolute beast, and that's the guy I wanted so bad because I knew he would be fairly cheap. But, you know, he's their eighth-inning guy, and then Alex Colomay is their uh, closer. We did get to him, and Liz would be familiar with him uh, in Tampa. So Uh maybe, I don't know, maybe if we have the same numbers as last year, you know, maybe he could be... uh, you know, under some stress in that ninth inning, kind of like Ozuna with the Astros now is, you know, because we have a long history with him, um, you know, since his Blue Jays days. But, but we will be seeing him coming up with Houston anyway. But I mean, we—I don't, don't think we have to go too much deeper into it. That you know, we're playing a last place team, and hopefully, we get to five hundred.
3: Well, and just to touch on Colomé since you brought him up, I didn't even know he was playing for them. I like to try to follow and see where former, you know, Rays players go, but I didn't know he was over there with them. And historically, any particularly pitcher, any pitcher that has come to the Rays as a mediocre or maybe even really horrible pitcher and then they were really good with us, and then they leave it again maybe they get a good contract maybe they don't maybe they just want more money or we just don't want to pay them for whatever reason we don't have them anymore they tend to suck so uh there's no doubt like not only are the white socks you know not that great but uh i'm almost certain you guys will get to him if you got to him before when he was good you're probably certainly going to get to him now but um i wanted to ask you guys like i know sale isn't you know the same old sale, but are you not feeling any more hopeful now that at least his strikeouts are going up? I mean, at least it seems like his uh, his control or his precision, something's getting better. Um, I'm sure that's not translating to wins, like things are still happening you know, for him, but he's starting to look slightly better than at least he was. Is that not you know, at least a glimmer of hope, or you need more than a glimmer?
1: His slider has gotten a lot more consistent, so I think that kind of is is where the strikeouts reflect. But my concerns are, you know, what happens when other teams kind of look at the data and, and they're sitting on sliders all of a sudden? Because his fastball isn't anything that's going to scare anyone. He's not getting strikeouts on his fastball, so until, until we start seeing that, I'm, I'm a skeptic, you know, he's pitched well enough in at least half of his starts to kind of keep us in the game, but, you know, he's still not that efficient, he did go seven innings, finally, in his last start, after, you know, the rough two innings there, but, I don't know, it's just the, the jury's still out, and, I'm looking at it from a series by series basis. I'm just trying to hope hope we get to 500 long term, you know, if we're talking 3 years from now, Chris Sale, you know, in, in his current contract, uh, I'm an extreme pessimist, so I'm just trying not to think about that right now, but but the strikeouts are definitely, you know, because his slider has gotten a lot sharper, you know, in the last 3-4 mm-hmm. starts. Uh, any any final thoughts before we wrap?
2: No, I'm 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 good. Okay.
1: Good. <laughs> well, all right. I'll uh, we'll see you, Jeremy, on Sunday night to uh, go over this Chicago series, and Liz will catch you. Um, actually, you know what? Well, we'll talk about it later. We're gonna kind of flip things around next week, but. Um but yeah, we'll uh we'll all be in touch uh nonetheless. Have a have Absolutely.
2: a good night and go socks.
3: All right, good night and, and uh go race.
2: <laughs> have a good night.
3: Talk to you guys.
2: So
1: one episode one hundred thirty in the books, a little bit more optimistic, uh breathing a little bit easier and we got at least two more cupcake series before shit gets real against uh seattle colorado and houston anyway so thanks for joining us and have a good last couple of days of your work week and we will see you all sunday night take care
0: for eternity I sleep walk through the days Sox Nation, it's a kind of a family. Wherever I roam, a and way home, that's where I long to be. I'm a member of the Red Sox Nation, it's a kind of insanity. Yeah, I live and die with Red Sox pride right for eternity.